Welcome to the Theology in Practice podcast, a podcast that takes theology and applies it to the everyday life. I'm your host, Anthony Kidd, and I want to thank you for joining me in this week's discussion. Welcome back as we continue in our study of John. We're in chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15, which is going to be the second half of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. The big idea here is that Jesus has turned the worldview of Nicodemus upside down. He did this by telling Nicodemus that everything that he thought was foundational in his life was void and meaningless. Jesus tells Nicodemus that to see the kingdom of God, he must be born again. Nicodemus is confronted with the reality that he must look to Christ like Israel in Numbers 21 or else he will not have eternal life. To this point, Nicodemus has found his identity in who he is as a Pharisee and ruler of the Jews. He was a morally upstanding man of society and a highly respected teacher. He still came to Jesus in the cover of night. During the first part of the conversation, Jesus upended Nicodemus' worldview by telling him that he had to be born again, or better understood as being born from above. This was the only way that he was going to see the kingdom of God. This is how Jesus turned Nicodemus' theology on its head. Instead of looking to God as the sole source of salvation, Nicodemus was only attempting to earn his salvation through his own works. Nicodemus should have known from the Old Testament that no one can come to God in their own strength. This is the foundation of being born from above. It is a total transformation of the person from the inside out, a transformation that can only happen by the work of God. One commentary says it this way, God is not interested in your personal remodeling project. He wants to make you and reshape you from the inside. In response to having his worldview disrupted, Nicodemus asks what appears to be the most logical question. How can these things be? Perhaps he was confused by Jesus' teaching, or maybe he was just genuinely humbled and wanted to learn what Jesus was teaching and with such authority. Remember, Jesus is speaking in contrast to the authority over everything that Nicodemus has learned. When Nicodemus first approached Jesus, he spoke as one who thought he had all the answers. Remember also that Jesus has said, We know who you are. Jesus responds to him in a way that alludes to the end of chapter 2 by showing Nicodemus that he knew all things about him and by pointing out his spiritual darkness. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with the attitude of we know, and Jesus gives him the answer that he didn't even know to ask. Nicodemus had already been given the answer to the question he was asking, but did not see it at the time. Jesus has already explained to Nicodemus that new birth that he needed is likening to the winds blowing. There are three things that Jesus highlights about this new birth. Number one, it is unseen. Like the wind that blows, you cannot see with your eye the works of God. Number two, it cannot be controlled. To mankind, the wind blows however it wishes, beyond the control of man. Number three, it is beyond human comprehension. A wind can be a fresh breeze to to one person, and then in the same wind be whipped up into a tornado of destruction. Man will never be able to understand how this happens. Even though we cannot see the wind, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he can see the effects of the wind. After Nicodemus asked this question, Jesus takes more time to explain the work of God to him. Jesus starts his explanation with a little jab at Nicodemus. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you're supposed to be the brightest and most educated here, and you don't understand these things? Commentator D.A. Carson paraphrases Jesus' question this way. 
You are the Reverend Professor Doctor, and you do not understand these things? Jesus is saying here that once again, Nicodemus has missed the teaching of what he claimed to be a teacher of. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, the act of spiritual cleansing by the supernatural power of God is explained this way. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, he should have been familiar with this passage. This verse shows once again how blinded the Israelite people were in their ideas of what the kingdom of God was supposed to be like. Next, we see Jesus once again assert his authority over everything Nicodemus has been taught with another truly, truly, I say to you statement. Jesus says, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. These we statements seem a little odd since no other people have been identified as being part of this story. To this point, the only two people that the reader is aware of is Jesus and Nicodemus. Some of the possible explanations that have been given for the presence of the plural pronoun here are that Jesus could be referring to the Trinity, there are disciples present who are not mentioned, or Jesus is referring to the entire faith community that is made up of all those who believe in his name. While all of these have some possibility, trying to figure out how many people Jesus is talking about misses the point of what he is saying. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he has already had countless witnesses to the reality of the spiritual rebirth that comes from above and have missed the testimony of these witnesses. The end of verse 11 should remind the reader of what John wrote in his prologue, when John said, He, the Word, came down and his own did not receive him. Jesus often spoke about the kingdom of God using parables. You can see that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and the recording of the parables Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. Because Nicodemus didn't understand the point that Jesus was making, he had to point out his darkness further and further humble him to the reality of his actual spiritual condition. Verse 13 is another verse that didn't seem to fit the context of the conversation and where it was going. Essentially, Jesus is claiming the authority to speak the way he has simply because of who he is. In this day, the goal of a typical pagan religion was to work your way to heaven through the appeasement of the gods. No one could ascend unless they were good enough. Jesus is once again pointing to the spiritual darkness found in this type of belief. He is saying that he is the only one who is good enough because he is perfect. The only way that a spiritually dead person can ascend is through the person of Christ. Remember, Nicodemus was the best and the brightest of all the religious leaders in this day. After claiming authority... Jesus references a relatively obscure passage from Numbers chapter 21. This passage has some obvious parallels, though. In Numbers 21, Israel has been plagued by snakes because of their idolatrous worship. They are seeking rescue from the snakes and cry out to God. God instructs Moses to fashion a bronze serpent and lifts it up on a pole before the people. When the snakes bite the people, they only need to look at the serpent that has been raised, and they will live. If they do not look up, they will die. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that he must also look up like Israel in the wilderness. There is no work or doing something that can earn life. Simply look up. 
Jesus says that he will be lifted up like the bronze serpent. Any person who looks to Christ will live. Thus, John has again left us with the question, what will you do with Jesus? There are four truths that we can take away from this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. First, we are all spiritually dead and can only be made alive in the person of Christ. Two, we are all in need of a Redeemer because of our spiritual darkness. Three, seeing and knowing the instrument of your death, i.e. the cross, in order to know that there can be life. And number four, looking to the cross, like Israel looked to the serpent, to Jesus for life. I want to thank you for joining me for Theology and Practice. Our prayer is that God's Word would penetrate into your heart and continue you on your journey of sanctification as you seek to be more like Christ. 